Hello and welcome to Love Thy Lawyer, where we talk to real lawyers about their lives in and out of the practice of law, how they got to be lawyers, and what their experience has been. I'm Lewis Goodman, the host of the show, and yes, I'm a lawyer. Nobody's perfect. She serves as a deputy district attorney in Alameda County. She prosecutes child sexual assault cases as a member of a special team. Previously, she prosecuted and has tried numerous felony and misdemeanor cases, including animal cruelty, domestic violence, and murder. She has a compelling courtroom presence and has established her reputation for excellence. Charlie Weissenbach, welcome to Love Thy Lawyer. Thanks for having me, Lou. It's a pleasure to have you. Where is your office located right now? I am sitting in my office in Dublin, California right now. And that's part of the Alameda County District Attorney's Office, correct? It is. Our Dublin office is in the East County Hall of Justice, which we refer to as Echo J. And Alameda County DA's office has offices all over the county. So this is the furthest east. What kind of practice do you have right now? What sort of assignment do you have? I'm currently assigned to our sexual assault unit, which includes prosecution of child sexual assault as well as some adult sexual assault, depending on the circumstances. The goal of the team is to have specially assigned prosecutors to handle it from charging all the way through to a jury trial so that the particularly vulnerable victims won't have to get to know more than one prosecutor as they navigate the justice system, preliminary hearing, trial, etc. How long have you been in that assignment? I've been in this assignment since March of 2020, so I had the great pleasure of getting familiar with child sex cases while also being quarantined in my own house. (laughs) (laughs) And how long have you been in the DA's office? So I was a law clerk in this office in 2012, the summer of 2012. I started as a post-bar September 16th of 2013, and then after I got my bar results, in November of 2013, then I started as a deputy DA. Well, congratulations. Thanks. Where are you from originally? Originally, I'm born and raised in Lancaster, California, which is part of the Mojave Desert, including Roseman, Palmdale, etc. So I am from the desert, basically. <laughs> is that where you went to high school? Yes. I graduated from Lancaster High School, and then I got out as quickly as possible and went to San Diego for college. I did not want to be in the high desert any longer than I needed to. There's a lot of Air Force uh, in Lancaster, isn't there? There is. My grandfather actually retired from the Air Force, and that's what brought my dad's side of the family to the area. I see. Well, what did you do in high school? Anything interesting besides studying practical math and (laughs) American history? Not really. You know, sometimes I joke that my high school just didn't really have a whole lot of options. I, I coach mock trial now, and I didn't even know mock trial existed back then. So <laughs> nothing super interesting, honestly. Now, when you graduated from high school in Lancaster, where'd you go to college? I went to SDSU, San Diego State University, for college here also in California. What was that experience like? Uh, it was fine. I I did not love college. I don't think I did it the same way a lot of people do college especially at SDSU. I, I was wor- supporting myself. I put myself through college and I was working usually two and during the summers, three jobs. So I wasn't partying or kind of 
exploring or even really going to the beach as much as most people in San Diego. I worked a lot. What sort of work did you do? So I worked full time for a savings and loan company and I worked part time for an investment firm. And then I worked nights and weekends at 24 hour fitness. Wow. That's (laughs) quite a schedule. Yeah, it was, it was a lot. I worked 40 hours at the loan and savings. So I fit in the other jobs where I could. And what sort of academics did you study while you were there? I majored in political science. I got a minor in sociology as well. And it's funny because I already knew that I wanted to be a lawyer. So when I went there for admitted students day, I said, what do people want to be lawyers major in? And they said, poli sci. And I said, okay, that's my major. (laughs) I didn't put a lot of thought into it. I regret that. (laughs) So you knew you wanted to be a lawyer even before you went to college. I knew I wanted to be a lawyer in fourth grade. Really? What prompted that? (laughs) So I was seven when I started fourth grade, turned eight in fourth grade, I believe. No, the other way around. I was eight and turned to nine. I was pretty young, and I remember that we had a career day in fourth grade. And I distinctly remember the teacher in the school, because I moved around a lot, so that's how I categorize my life in my mind. The teacher was talking about different careers, and she said that if you work as a lawyer, you can make $600 an hour. I remember... Wouldn't that be nice, right? We're both sitting here like, okay, you got lied to. That's cool, though. But I remember sitting there, and even at eight, right, I didn't really have a great appreciation for how much money that was. But I knew that if I made that much money, we could pay rent and get groceries with the same paycheck. And I was intimately familiar with my kind of monetary situation, and I knew that we couldn't get groceries and rent with the same paycheck. And so the idea of not getting evicted and not getting bills in the mail that were pink because they were about to turn off the gas or electric, and the idea that I didn't have to wait for a certain time of the month to actually be able to buy groceries was just so compelling that I decided to be a lawyer. When you graduated from San Diego State, did you go directly to law school or did you take some time off? I went directly to law school. I knew that law school is what I wanted to do, although for different reasons by that point in college, and I also appreciated my personality and thought that if I took a break, then I wouldn't go back. I wouldn't restart it. If I sat down and caught my breath, then that would, I'd lose my momentum, if you will. So where did you carry your momentum to? What law school? Uh, At the time, it was still called Bolt Hall, but now it's Berkeley School of Law. So you must have really had a very impressive academic credentials in order to get into Bolt, Berkeley. We're on the podcast, so I won't use the phrase that I would like to, but I worked very hard. (laughs) I'm sure you did. So what was it like being in Berkeley after coming out of really much warmer climates and Southern California, and then all of a sudden you're in Berkeley, which really is kind of a different environment from San Diego or Lancaster, I would imagine. To say the least, Berkeley was a very different environment. The climate didn't affect me one way or the other, to be quite honest. It was more the the people, the environment itself. Law school felt very abrasive for me. I, I mean, I put myself through college and I put myself through law school, but I didn't know any lawyers my whole life. I, we didn't have any attorneys in the family. I was the first person in my family to to go to college and one of the first women in my family to graduate high school without getting pregnant. So it was very, very different 
from what I'm used to and where I came from, I remember feeling like the people around me were speaking a different language that I quite literally could not understand. And I remember sitting there looking at one of my classmates, like boat shoes, you know, those like Sperry shoes that they just slip on and off. And I remember sitting there thinking, this guy has boat shoes because he literally has a boat. I do not belong here. (laughs) 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 So I really felt like I did not belong in a lot of ways. It was just different, really different. At some point, you must have acclimated a bit to the law school experience. What was that like? I did. I acclimated. I actually joined La Raza, which is a group of law school students and a lot of other students, traditionally from Latino or Hispanic heritages, but not exclusively. And I found my kind of friends, at least initially, in that group. I felt like I fit in more. And then as time went by, I found kind of my friends within my group of 1Ls that I became much closer to who weren't the generic law student, I guess, which is why I felt like I could be comfortable and kind of hang out with them. But it was interesting because I would tell a story sometimes about my childhood or my family or whatever. And one friend in particular sometimes would just interrupt me and say, hashtag sad desert stories. (laughs) Like you're telling another sad desert story. Please be quiet. (laughs) And I didn't realize like, oh, that's weird. You guys didn't have CPS like coming to the house to like make sure you had food. No. Okay, cool. Got it. Noted. (laughs) Whoops. Do you speak Spanish? I do not. I do not speak Spanish. I understand a little bit of Spanish, but I think it would be tooting my own horn to say that I speak it. When you graduated from Berkeley, what was your first legal job? My first real legal job was this. In the district attorney's office. How did you get into the district attorney's office? How did you find your way there? During law school, I worked as a 1L the summer after my one my first year in law school at the U.S. Attorney's Office down in San Diego for their criminal division. And my direct supervisor was someone who used to be a DA. And so I spoke with him quite a bit about kind of what I wanted to do and where we would, I would go. I didn't know. I tried a bunch of different clinics, and some of them were really rewarding, but they weren't exactly the right fit. And then when I talked to the AUSA, the assistant U.S. attorney who talked about being a DA, I got a feel for how much of his job now was really focused on the investigation and preparation of cases and how he felt like when he was a DA, he was in the trenches and he was throwing punches and he was doing murder cases. And I was like, yeah, that feels like that fits my personality better than this. I think that's what I want to do. I applied to Alameda, I applied to San Francisco, and I talked to a lot of folks and had some good mentors to try and guide me into what might be best. Alameda County had such an amazing reputation that it was my first choice, hands down, and When I got it, I was elated. (laughs) Well, congratulations. Thanks. What is it that you really like about practicing law as an Alameda County Deputy District Attorney? I love that I get to do what's right every day. If a young person was coming out of college and thinking about a career, would you recommend the law? And specifically, would you recommend criminal prosecution as a career choice? Yes, but it's a hard road. It's a stressful road. And it's one that, quite frankly, took me $200,000 into debt to be able to do. So I think that people's financial situation should be considered, unfortunately or fortunately. I feel blessed to be able to have taken out loans to fund my education. 
I don't think a long time ago that would have been possible, right? You just had to pay for it or you couldn't do it. So I feel blessed that I was able to do that, but it is, I mean, it's a lot to, to know that I need to make that student loan payment, to know that it's more difficult to buy a house, to law school's only gotten more expensive even since I went. So I think it's a big undertaking. I think for the person with the right drive and demeanor and heart that it's a great place to be, especially prosecution, but I don't think it's something that should be done lightly. How is practicing met or differed from your expectations about it? Hmm, good question. I don't know that I went into it with too many expectations, mostly because I was just so un, uninformed is probably strong, but like unfamiliar with what that looked like. But I will say that I, I do find the day-to-day to be much more different than like the in-courtroom. The in-courtroom, I think, is maybe what our expectations become is being in trial and making the arguments and doing opening statements and calling witnesses. And that's a huge part of it, my favorite part of it, quite honestly. But even just the day-to-day can just be very different because you're not in every day. So there's days where I play Legos with little kids. Like that's what I get paid DA salary to build some Legos to at least make sure they're comfortable. Or I get paid DA salary to transcribe my own recordings because we can't as an office afford to send them out. I work a lot more nights and weekends than I thought I would. But on the whole, I think it's more or less what I expected, especially, you know, we as law clerks, we got a good feel for it. So then we could really make an informed choice before we applied as DAs. What do you think's the best advice that you've ever received? Hmm. That's a hard one. Well, let me ask you this. What advice would you give to someone who is just starting out in their practice? I'd tell them to do what feels right, whether it's choosing prosecution or defense or private, whether it's federal, whether it's state, whether it's something different. But really, like to follow your heart and to do what feels right. I had a law school friend once when I said that I really loved my job here. He was like, okay, but what are you going to do next? And I was like, I think this is like, this is where I want to be. He was like, that's it? That's all you're going to do is just work for the county of Alameda? And I remember thinking, that's, that's your, you get to have that, but I don't feel like that about what we do and about what I'm doing. But you, he's making way more money than me now, but <laughs> we took very different paths. Money isn't everything, is it? No, it's really not. And it's funny because... Even now, like, I'm making more than both my parents did combined growing up. And, I mean, they were divorced. They were in different households, so it was a different thing. But I'm still doing much more, much better than they are, even though money is not why I chose this. And if it was going, if I was doing it for the money, I wouldn't be doing this. So, yeah, no, it's not everything. What, if anything, would you change about the way the legal system works? No matter how much we try and fix it, that justice can be different depending on where you're from and who you are. And that's often the color of your skin, sometimes your income, but I think that I would want it to be fair. The system, even as it is, isn't fair. And I know that. That leads to my question of, you know, do you think the system is fair? And you've said that you don't think it's fair. So why not? I I don't think that everybody's treated equally. I think that's the goal. And I think that when sometimes we boil it down, right, each individual DA, maybe they treat everyone the same. Each DA's office, maybe they treat everyone the same. But if we're looking wider than that, I think that there's a lot that 
isn't fair and hasn't been fair. And there's systemic racism that is still here and we see it every day. And in order to address it, we need to first recognize it. And I think most people are afraid of doing that. But I think we need to recognize it and then do everything we can in at least every case that we have to make sure that it's fair every single time. Because that's the only way to fight the bigger injustice. Going to shift gears here a little bit. How about your personal life, your family life, and how is practicing law, being a deputy district attorney, affected that or fit into it? It's affected in a lot of ways. Um, even just with my family, I have I have family members who are still very upset that I chose prosecution over defense because they need criminal defense attorneys on the regular. So they resent that I chose this side instead of that side. So, I mean, even just every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, it's pretty entertaining, if you will, to get the grief that I get about picking this. Other than that, I mean, this this job isn't a job. I mean that. It's a lifestyle. And I feel that way about most attorneys, if not all, in the same way that I think it's true for nurses and doctors and other professions where you've you've chosen a lifestyle. And so because of that, it's hard. It's hard to explain to someone why I'm not available because I'm picking a jury if they've never picked a jury and they don't get it. What sort of things do you do recreationally to clear your head a little bit after a day in court, a day in your office, a day dealing with victims of serious crime? I love the outdoors. So if I can do something and literally breathe in fresh air while also hopefully getting my heart rate up and just being able to kind of sweat out that frustration and that tension and that sadness sometimes. It really helps, especially if I can do it with my dogs, who I love, or even just by myself, go for a hike, go for a run, go for a bike ride. Yeah, you're a pretty avid bike rider, aren't you? I try. (laughs) I ride every year for Bike MS, Waves to Wine. And so I have a good friend in the office who inspired me to do that and does that for her own reasons, too. And so I started riding with her, and I try and do that as often as I can. And some of the other people in the office ride as well, as well as some of the defense bar. So it's nice to to be able to do that activity, you know, and get out of the four walls and out of your own head. Yeah, I've found my bicycle has helped me keep my sanity, especially through the whole COVID period that we've all been experiencing. Exactly. Everyone was locked down. They're like, what am I going to do? I can't go to the gym. And I was like, there's there's a whole list. Would you like a list? Let's go bike riding. Let's go hiking. Let's go run. It, it was still very hard, especially when the fires and COVID happened at the same time. That was rough. Yeah, because you go outside, but you can't breathe. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. How about travel experience? Have you traveled anywhere that's interesting? I left the country for the first time in college, and now it's all I want to do sometimes. Where'd you go? I've Initially, I went to Mexico, which was really fun. And then during college, I studied abroad in, at Oxford. And then while I was there, I traveled to Scotland and then also Dublin, Paris, Rome, Berlin. And then after I took the bar, I traveled to Southeast Asia. And I traveled to Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia. It was really beautiful. <laughs> Any place really stand out as some place that you really liked? I loved it all. It's so different. I remember thinking that I really enjoyed the hiking in northern Thailand, which I also did alone, which was very empowering. As like a young woman traveling alone. It was scary, but very empowering. You know, and I just adjusted my travel 
tendencies and made sure I was only out during the daylight, that sort of stuff. But that was the most beautiful kind of nature-wise. I remember feeling like Paris was like very romantic, even though I was just there with my best friend, but it just felt romantic and beautiful. I remember Dublin being just like the most fun. I remember having the most fun. I remember Berlin feeling the most historical. It's hard because like all these different places just have such a different feel that it's hard to pick a favorite. (laughs) If you couldn't be a lawyer, what sort of job do you think you would like to have? That is a perfect question to follow up on what I just said, actually. So I decided when I was waiting for bar results, I was very stressed out about what I would do if I failed. And so I decided that if I failed the bar or if I didn't become a lawyer, then what I wanted to do is I thought of it as like a travel book. I guess now it would be like a blog, but I'm just not that hip. Or podcasts, like your hips podcast. I wanted to do basically like travel advice for a single woman traveling alone with her dog. Because that's such a like unique niche, but I think a lot of women would really enjoy being able to travel. How do you define success? I honestly define success as happiness. I went to a different school for every grade. I remember meeting kids and telling them not to become my friend because I wouldn't be around long. So now that I'm here, what feels successful is feeling comfortable that I can have my dogs and I can take care of my brother and I can come to work every day and I can do what I love most days and feel happy in each of those parts of my life. That feels like success. Let's say you came into some real money, three or four billion dollars. What, if anything, would you do differently in your life? I mean, I do. I think I would do some things differently, but not a lot. So, for example, I'd pay off my house. But I wouldn't move. I wouldn't plan to move. I love, it's fine. It's two bedrooms, that's enough. I'd still work here. I'd probably take more vacations, but I'd still work here. I know that I would want to at least provide a safe environment for my sister and my nephews and my parents to live in and my extended family too. But I think what I'd really want to do is some sort of philanthropy dedicated to making sure people don't go hungry. Sometimes felt hungry as a kid. I remember eating only popcorn for dinner because that's all we had. And when I was a kid, that was kind of fun. That was cool. But now looking back on it, I just don't want anyone to have to feel that way. And I don't just mean in the United States. I mean, kind of generally. Let's say somebody gave you 60 seconds on the Super Bowl, 60 second ad on the Super Bowl. You have a big platform, big microphone to put a message out to the world, what would you like to say? You know, I think a lot of people struggle with not feeling perfect and not being born into who they, the body they feel like they should have or not being wealthy enough to be able to do X, Y, or Z. And I think that if we could all just accept and love who we are, that the world would be a lot better place for anyone, black, white, brown, transgender, male, female. I just think that it could be a lot better if we all just accepted that instead of having all this angst and anguish over that and what that looks like and what we have to prove and who we should be as opposed to just who we are. Is there anything that you want to talk about that we haven't discussed? Anything that you would like to say? This will probably be the only time I'm ever on the radio or the internet. So this is my moment to thank the people who have made me me. (laughs) I used to resent where I was from and 
my upbringing, not my parents necessarily, but just the hardships that that took. And as I sit here now, I'm just so thankful to my mom and my dad and my siblings and my friends and my mentors who have got me here um, in a place where someone like you even wants to talk to me on a podcast, but in a place where I feel just really happy to be loved and supported all along the way from everyone who helped me. And I don't think any of us can do it alone. So I want to say thank you. Charlie Weissenbach, thank you so much for joining me today on the Love Thy Lawyer podcast. It's been a delight to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for today's episode of Love Thy Lawyer. If you enjoyed listening, please share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast. If you have comments or suggestions, send me an email. I promise I'll respond. Take a look at our website at lovethylawyer.com where you can find all of our episodes, transcripts, photographs, and information. Thanks as always to my guests who share their wisdom. And to Joel Katz for music, Brian Matheson for technical support, and Tracy Harvey. I'm Lewis Goodman. That's hard. <laughs> it's a hard one. That's a good one, but it's hard. Okay, let me think. Hmm. You know, for somebody who gets paid to talk, I feel like I, I got nothing. <laughs>